Without further ado! That's what the game's all about. All of a sudden you feel like you can't miss. Tried that again. Absolutely. Welcome to Buckets. My name is Matt Moore. I'm the senior NBA writer for the Action Network, joined by my colleague, NBA futures analyst Brandon Anderson. This is your how to guide for NBA win totals. How to bet. NBA win totals, tis the season. It's going to be win totals month over here at Action Network. Starting next week, Buckets is going to be bringing you on Tuesdays and Thursdays, one division each covering the NBA. We will break down in detail all these divisions, get you win totals, get you best bets on all those, breaking them down. I'll have written content as well, my usual case for the over, case for the under, and best bets. We're doing both by division and individually this season. Excited to be into it. It's the weeds. You break down a lot of stuff, but we want to talk about how to bet these before we get into them. This will not be a best bets episode today. So we're going to take two teams and we're going to talk about them. And they're two teams that I have bet if you want to tail. And we'll talk about those at the end of the of the show. But if you really want the best bets, you're going to have to listen to all of our best bets of, of our division preview episodes. And then we'll probably have like a best bets recap episode toward closer towards the uh, end of the season. Or if you want to be able to get your hands on what those tasty picks are, just follow us in the Action Network app because that's the best way for you to track all of your picks. Get up to the second information on where the bets and money are coming in on. You can see every single time. You can see on notifications and find out when we put in a bet. I put in a sizable bet yesterday on one of the teams that we're going to talk about, and I'm terrified about it. You can cover all that and more. Plus, this podcast, all of our videos, everything is in our new media center. Download the award-winning Action Network app today also want to ask you that if you are into any sort of other sport betting you are going to want to check out those podcasts if you like soccer football you got wonder goal wonder goal from the action network if you like college football who doesn't like college football big bets on campus is where you need to go colin stuckey they've already got their week one preview out it's already out i listened to it this morning fantastic stuff excited for all those games nfl obviously begins in about when we're recording this on thursday in about what 10 days no a week a week from now one week one week week it starts and you can catch that on the action network podcast where brandon will be making his usual appearances as well make sure to check out all those great podcasts so as we get started here with win totals brandon i'm just gonna go ahead and ask you this what is your process for figuring out which win totals you want to bet and how yeah so much to everyone's surprise, it is a long and thorough process. So I'm going to try to summarize the best I can here. But I, I try to kind of write down, okay, my, my process is like, okay, the, the game's just ended. It's June and we've got three months. And kind of what, where does my brain go for these three months? Where, where are the notes that I'm taking? Where, where, where is the process from start to finish? So I start out with big picture. Like I always feel like big picture is my forte. So I want to see the whole forest. I want to see the landscape. I want to see the whole thing before I start to zoom in. And then the whole process is zoom in further, 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 look at the trees, study the bark. But I want to start way zoomed out. And I mean, even zoomed out past this year. So I've got like my huge dock of, of rosters and team assets and draft picks and contracts and salary cap. For me, all that stuff matters because I, I am ranking and rearranging and analyzing all that. I want to see for me, What's the three-year outlook sort of look like for, for each team? Just, uh, you know, where's the salary cap headed? 
what players could end up being salary cap casualties, either a cut or a likely trade later in the year, who are the trade candidates, what moves are coming. I think it's really important too to use that for motivations. And this is one where you've got to get away from the numbers at the end of the day. When in this, one of the teams we'll talk about, I think this is really important where you can't just look and say, well, here are the players. Here's how their offense and defense should be. This team is bad. Thus, they will lose a lot of games. We need to know what do they think that they are? We don't know, but we can guess. Do they think they're a playoff team? Do they think that they're tanking? Are they rebuilding? Are they contender? So that's the first step is just like start at the way zoomed out, look at the landscape and kind of get a sense of where I'm at on each team. Yeah, it makes a lot of sense. I think as as we kind of look at this, like uh, the motivations would, I'll, I'll talk about as well, I think is a, is a good starting point, but it does make kind of sense. So from there, you kind of, you are trying to actually wind up projecting a number then. Yeah. So once I kind of feel like, okay, I've got the big landscape, that's when I do my first initial kind of win projection. Really projection is even overstated there. Win instincts. I'm just kind of saying, okay, based on what I've looked at, Let's put these conferences in order, 1 to 15. Let's put them in tiers. Where do the playoffs shake up? Where do the play, you know, play-ins look? And what win fits that? Just to kind of have a baseline to start from. And I do have a formula that looks back kind of at win totals the last three years. Those are a lot more predictive than you think. Obviously, less so with some teams when, you know, they trade away a superstar or something. Um, and the formula adjusts, obviously, more for more recent years. And basically, I'll say, okay, here's where I start. And I'm kind of doing... Each, each level of my process, I'm coming back and doing that again, refining, zooming in a little further. So now I've got each team. Now I start with the Atlanta Hawks. They're top of the alphabet. And I say, okay, who did we add? What did we lose? And not just a name, but okay, we get maybe 20 more games of this player. We're, we're adding this coach in. And here's that's going to affect the defense in particular based on what we know in their history. What are the rotations looking like? What's the depth look like? And it's kind of like, okay, look at the overall team. And then in my notes, I even make basically like a thesis. What's the overall direction of the team in like two lines? And I know that sounds crazy because it's me, but in two lines, what are the Atlanta Hawks? What do they think that they are this year compared to last year? Where are they headed? So, and then I kind of do the process again, zoom in a little further. Now I want to look at offense rating and defensive rating. I think it's really important too. It's very common. I hear this a lot where it's like, okay, well, X team was 14th in offensive rating last year. And they added this guy, so they're going to be better offensively. Now I think they could be top 10. I think that that is a flawed way of of looking at those ratings. It's more important to look at the actual number offensive rating than the rank within the league, because the rank within the league requires context. And I don't know what that context is until I've done all 30 teams. So it's more important to me, was your offensive rating 110 or 113 or 117? than that you were eighth or 15th in the league because one year eighth and 15th might be separated by 0.2 by like one two minute stretch at the end of the season another year eighth to 15th might be a huge gap and this last year for example we had a lot of superstars last year that were missing we had a lot of injuries especially in the west my theory overall and the numbers kind of back it up offense was a little worse last year than we would have expected which means defense was a little better last year than we expected. But that doesn't necessarily carry over league-wide from one year to the next. So I want to look at the, the ratings, but I'm kind of looking at the team trajectory and the actual number and not the ranking. Does that make sense, the distinction between the two? It does. It makes it makes a lot of sense. Um, 
I'm not a hundred percent on board with you in terms of like, I, I think it's, it's fine for the context of how you're approaching it. I think when you're using the rankings as a baseline for something, it's essentially, you're trying to put it in, in correlation. Like it's whether or not you think those things do carry over. It's how much variance you think there will be year to year based off of those offensive and defensive performances. And I think a lot of that's going to be based off of the individual doing the cap, but go ahead. Yeah, that's fair. That's fair. So, so basically now I've got, okay. So I've got the last, two, three years of offensive rating and then defensive rating for each one. Again, obviously the more recent years are a lot more relevant because the roster is a lot more similar, some teams more than others. And now I'm kind of saying, okay, here's where we're at last year. Here's where we were the year before. Based on my thesis, based on the trajectory, who we added, what the team looks like. First, should the offense be better or worse than last year? That's a pretty easy starter question. If I'm at 113 last year, should I be looking higher or lower than that? And then kind of how much and where where does it go? Then I put a range for each one, do the same with defense. And then once I'm done with that, now I take all 30 teams, put them in a row, you know, rank them, rank the ranges basically top to bottom. And now I got my offensive rank, my defensive rank. This is where it gets a little fun for me. So well, I'll be honest, this whole thing is fun. I'm a nerd. But so I've got, okay, here's a team that I have Offense is eighth, defense is 15th. What is that? So now I want to actually like get totally out of the team context. I want to try to get rid of some of my anchors and biases. So I look back at the last three or four years and say, okay, what other team does this look like? Forget everything, just based on offense, eighth, defense, 15th. Who else is that similar to? Oh, hey, here's a team in 2020 that was offense seventh, defense 16th. That's pretty similar. I'll make a note of them. And I make a list of like four or five, six teams that are like that. Sometimes those teams are very similar. Sometimes they're very distinct. But then I kind of look and say, okay, what are these teams? How many games did those teams win? What was that team? Were they a first round out? Were they a defensive stalwart that didn't really score much? And when they got to the playoffs, that was flawed. Were they a, you know, a rebuild team? You know, what, what sort of team were they? Were they a contender, a real championship team? And then that kind of gives me a flavor of, well, maybe that's what this team is going to look like now. So then it, ideally, if I've done my work in time, now is the first time I actually look at the posted over-under. I like to do as much of my homework as I can before I get to the number. So I'm not anchored to it. And then I'd start to make my determination from there. So I, I now have a win total, but I really have a win range. Usually I have something like 46 to 52 wins. And so question one is this team I'm considering a pretty stable team? So should I be looking at the median there and think, okay, well, this is about a 49-win team. How's that compare? Or is this a team like the Pelicans where the range of outcomes is wider and I need to be considering the high end and the low end? And then, okay, so I'm at 49. The win total is 47 and a half. How does that rate? Does that, does that mean this is a bet? Or is there a better way, if I like the over here, is the better way to play a division outcome or a make or miss playoffs? If a team does hit this high end, do they qualify for an award then? Is there a coach of the year candidate or is there an MVP candidate? You know, just because you possibly like an over-under doesn't necessarily mean that you should play it. There might be a better way to play that angle. So then I make my final decision, bat, lean, or pass. I've got my side. That's my process. Yeah, it's interesting. This is a this is a recurring kind of approach in your process, which is if there's the idea of playing the team versus playing the market, you are the most anti playing the market person imaginable because you don't like you just like 
I think what I think, and this is what I want. Okay, there's a differential here, and this is where we go. And that makes a lot of sense, right? And like uh, Brandon killed it last year in our win totals draft. He wound up winning comfortably because we did a point system uh, based off of like what the difference was between them. What was the big one that you hit that like you have one that absolutely killed? I don't remember what it was, but we basically we gave a point for every win over or under. If you took the under and it was 10 wins under, then you got points for that. Um, and Brandon wound up absolutely destroying our former colleague Raheem Palmer and I in those categories, even though like the actual splits on our over under, like if you just put the money on him, we all wound up pretty even. Brandon yeah. wound up annihilating us based off of the differential in him. Um, so Brandon's got cred there. So a lot of that makes sense. Um, and it, it's a thorough process that builds it out. Like you're basically you're you're essentially configuring what you think is a range of outcomes based off of previous standards of like these prior teams performed about X. One of the things I think that's really interesting because like this is where my brain goes with it, Brandon yeah. is okay. So here's a good question. Cause I'm doing, I'm, I've been working on pals a lot two years ago. Who do you think had a higher offensive rating Zion Williamson or Brandon Ingram? I mean, I would guess Zion because yeah. he is a better player. Brandon was two points higher in offensive rating on court. Like this is one of the really fascinating things about trying to understand it is there's value in looking at the overall team. I think you have to, I just, I just think you have to look at these overall team performances because like, that's the aggregate of all of your possessions. This is what it came out to, but like so much of this stuff is so heavily divided based off of minutes, like the nuggets with Nikola Jokic on court, we're an entirely different universe of team than when he was on the bench. And some of these are actually fascinating too, because it's like one of the best on-court pairings for the Denver Nuggets last year was Austin Rivers and Aaron Gordon without like Nikola Jokic on or off. It didn't matter. They were just lights out offensively with Aaron Gordon and Austin Rivers on court. There's so much random stuff in the course of an NBA season. Like that's, that's what I think makes a lot of this really difficult. My approach is based off of, I will say that I start with the idea of questions. And so we mentioned the motivation thing. The first starting question that you should ask is, does this team want to win? Like that's a primary important question. And there are some teams I'm taking the over on this year that I'm not sure if they want to win. And that's scary. And those will be teams that I will probably go lighter on entirely in terms of my bet size entirely because of that. The NBA is a sport where individual draft outcomes wind up mattering so much for your long-term success that you can be like the thunder have been on pace to go over every single year and then have drastically shifted course so incredibly that they've wound up going under based off of sheer will. Like those are things that you do have to factor in at the same time. I have moved, I will tell you, kind of the opposite direction of you in, and it'll make for a good balance on these podcasts in that I am starting to be market first. What's the, like, I want to play the number and not the team because the team outcomes I think are a lot wider versus a lot of these numbers are more indicative of overall trends and performances and things like that. And I'm learning a lot that these numbers are not based off of what we think that they would be based off of. And that's been very illuminative for me in the last couple of weeks as I've started to do a little bit more research. Um, another part of the questions that I start with is I start going through the ifs. How many ifs do you need to reach the over? How many ifs do you need to reach the under? 
The Pelicans are a good example of this. How many ifs do I need in order for them to hit the under? Okay. They're under, they're over under 44 and a half in the market right now. Okay. After the first 12 games where they went or 13 games, they went one and 12. The Pelicans were a 41 win team the rest of the way. They were on pace for a 500 record. After CJ McCollum got traded there, even with a bunch of injuries in which kept both CJ or Brandon Ingram or both and Jonas Valanciunas out, they were a 500 team. So it's pretty reasonable to kind of look at the Pelicans and go that their floor before Zion is 41 wins. Okay. If that's my baseline, if that's my floor, no internal improvement for Herb Jones, Trey Murphy, no impact for Dyson Daniels, none of that. No continuity with CJ adding to these things, getting better. 41 wins is a reasonable floor to put for the New Orleans Pelicans, which is still four and a half wins short of their win total. Okay. How many things have to go wrong for them not to go over, right? Zion would have to miss the entire season. Does that get them there? Maybe. But that seems maybe. If Zion only plays 20 games, do they go over? If Zion plays 30 games, do they go over? If Herb Jones doesn't get better, if he if he stagnates or teams figure him out, uh, if there's tension between Brandon Ingram and Zion Williamson over the offense because Ingram's been the guy with Zion out, and now Zion's back. These are all things that you try and like factor into it. I don't have – I talk a lot about – the projections I use on day to night, night to night NBA betting. And I do think that having a number is incredibly valuable for win totals. I will say that I don't like trying to project out a number because I feel like there's so much variance that you have to account for, including minutes, rest minutes, a pump, like strength of schedule. And when the strength of schedule occurs, it's better to have back-to-backs early in the season versus late. I look at all of these types of things and I try and come up with a holistic answer. Um, and I, I break those down on the action network and in the action network app based off of like all of those kind of factors. That's where I kind of come from, Brandon. And and you'll have, if I'm, if I remember right, you've got columns coming up eventually on win totals, like, like in depth. It, is it, will you be by division? Do you do team by team? I forget. How does it go with these? I do team by team. I think this year what we're doing is we're going to do divisions and then we're going to break out the ones that I think are most interesting or are best bets for me. And those will get individual files. Mm-hmm. So like, I don't think right now I'm going to have a San Antonio Spurs file. And that's not based off of like, yeah, who wants to think about the Spurs? Well, that's usually like oftentimes that's where you can make money is in the markets where there's not a lot of attention at the same time. Um, like the Spurs, I think is mostly a matter of their number is so low it, and their intentions are so bad. They're like, it's very clear that they're tanking. I have a hard time coming out with like, is there value on that number over or under? And so that that's all kind of things to factor in. I hate to ask this question because it's a kind of a moot point, but this is something that if you're looking at in future years, the question of when you should bet these win totals, I will tell you betting early is better. Um, Brandon, you got 27 and a half on the Rockets. Is that, is that right? Yeah, when that one first came out, because we yeah. had done some early projections, and I, I have, I have the Rockets a little higher now, but I initially had the Rockets as like a fifteen to twenty win team, and when that one and I, they and easily my lowest team, and when that came out at twenty seven and a half, it was just like, all right, grab that immediately. Yeah. So, they, so some they, of these numbers, especially the especially the extremes, the the teams that are really high and really low, are bound like they only can go one direction. A team that opens as like a fifty seven or fifty eight is not getting bet up. Like that's not where this goes. So if you want a number on one of the tail ends, I think you want to grab it right away, especially. 
Uh, we'll talk about one team. Actually, that's not the case. They actually <laughs> go the other direction, but Fair. we'll talk about that in a few minutes. Um, so the Rockets, as an example here, it did open at 27 and a half. There's a 25 and a half in the market now at 24 and a half, a 23 and a half. Um, I would say that at 27 and a half, I would have, I didn't buy it, bet it then. I should have. Um, I would have loved an under after I did the research on everything. I would have loved a 27 and a half on the under, but 25 and a half becomes a, mm, I don't love that still probably an under, but not crazy about it. 23 and a half is a flat. No bet for me. I did the Rockets. They were the first team that I really dug into and, and don't get me wrong. They made my eyes bleed. Uh, there's so many things about this team that drive me nuts and are terrible. There's enough stuff there where I'm like, are, is there a range of outcomes where they go over? Yeah, there's a healthy range of outcomes where they go over and they win 26, 27 games. Still under the 27 and a half, but enough to where I no longer think that the Rockets is a playable number with where they're at. And so you should look at these things early. I will also tell you, though, that one, there is a wide variance in the market. Yeah. And you will continue to get this wide variance until about the last week of the season. The last week of the season is when everyone goes like, oh, hey, NBA is next week. I'm going to bet some over on over-unders on win totals. And then the market starts to squeeze together. You will literally be able to watch as the books start to coalesce into one number that last week. But until then, you're going to be able to get variance on a lot of these numbers. Like they're just there are wide ranges on a lot of these like two wins. And if you if you're wondering if that's important. It absolutely is. Two wins is crucial. Uh, as an example of this, last year's Denver Nuggets, there was a 47 in the market, a 47 and a half in the market, a 48 in the market, and a 48 and a half in the market all at close. They won 48 games. 47 and 47 and a half on the over, congratulations. 48 and a half on the under, congratulations. So it entirely depends on, on where this comes in at. Don't ever middle these though. That's, I was just going to ask that. What would you ever... You know, in in like the Rockets case. So you just you gave the answer already. But if you're looking at this year round, like you and I are, and you see that Rockets number post and you just have a strong instinct, I like the under here, but I think this number is going to drop. You know, you're me. You've got, I've got my 27 and a half ticket. I've got a couple units on it. It was a pretty strong play. Now there's a 23 and a half out there. If you've done the work that you are at and you're, you're thinking, okay, I think that actually... 23 to 26 is a pretty solid range of outcome here. Would you ever consider middling and giving yourself, you've got, you've got three, four wins in that range possibly that you can hit. Would you do that? There's just too much variance in the course of the regular season to go either way. So let's say you've gone the other way. Let's say that there was a, let's say you've gone the other way and there was a 23 and a half that came out early and you grabbed the over and now it's 27 and a half. And you're like, okay, can I go under now? At 23 and a half to 27 and a half, what you're basically talking about there is, again, the motivation factor comes in. But there's yeah. also these situations where what if you wind up your team and just winds up playing a bunch of tank squads or the coach is trying to win his job late in the season? Like you have seen this with your own Minnesota Timberwolves where they have reason to tank at the end of the year, but the franchise is headed in a different direction. Or the coach is trying to build positive momentum towards something, or the coach is just trying to save his job. That wasn't the case with, with Finch, but in general, like that happens quite a bit. And the other, I think is absolutely true as well. Where like, if you're at 27 and a half right now, you should feel good about your under and you shouldn't be like, well, what if they win between 24 and 26? I could hit both ways. It's just not worth the risk factor of they get to, you know, they're at 22 wins with, or they're 23 wins with a week left or with two weeks left in the season but they they play only good teams and they shut down Jalen Green and Alvin Shengun and Jabari Smith 
just like, oh, everybody's got a hamstring and those are all kind of issues. Um, yeah, I don't think the, the ranges on regular season win outcomes are too wide. I think for you to mess with that. Yeah. I, for, for me, I also wouldn't under, but for me, it's kind of a different direction. It's just basically, and again, this will not surprise you. If I believe in a team enough to grab that over immediately, like it did with the Rockets, where I was so far down, you're not coming off of it. The last thing that I, yeah, that you, if you've played with conviction enough to take a side, then you shouldn't be like, uh oh, well, the number is changing a lot. Like, really, you should do the opposite. You'd be like, ha, I got the value. I've got, I've got my my closing value. The number is dropping. Man, glad I got this when I did. But that shouldn't make you come off of it necessarily. Right. If something changed about the team then maybe I would consider, you know, a trade or a major injury. Then maybe I change, but not really trying the middle yeah. as much as to kind of hedge out of it with yeah. the middle opportunity. Maybe I get lucky and hit both sides. Then that could be in play. I will say this. There will be teams I will bet between now and when the preseason starts that I will then hedge out of when I see them in preseason. This will surprise a lot of people because preseason across the board is everyone is pretty much it's treated with loathsome disdain. And rightfully so. It's a horrendous exercise that wastes all of our time in terms of like trying to learn anything valuable from a, uh, I don't know, you can't learn anything like super takes, like this team is ready to contend for a time. It doesn't matter, right? However, what I will hear is like training camp went really well. There's a real buzz. The the beat writers are, ex- are extremely, like even the conservative beat writers, you have to know which one's the trust, but the conservative beat, like, let me put it this way. If Jonathan Fagan from the Houston Chronicle puts out an article that the Rockets really could make some noise this year, I'm going to be really scared about an underbet because Jonathan Fagan has done this forever. And Jonathan Fagan is not prone to hyperbole. Like Fagan knows what a good team looks like. He knows what a bad team looks like. He's covered both of them. So if you if you follow these people on Twitter, you're able to get a sense of those. And then you see them in preseason and you're like, they're playing. I know this sounds stupid. I know this. I understand how dumb this sounds. If it looks like they're playing together and that they're like loving playing together and they're excited, that genuinely matters. The NBA season is a slog. It's a grind. It's a it's absolutely a grind on everyone mentally, emotionally, and physically. If you have the right vibes, it helps counteract how long a season is by a huge degree. So like there will be teams that I'll just be like, they look like they really have it together. I no longer want this under. They do not look like they are falling apart. They look like they've really found something with this coach or like whatever. The Blazers were a good example of this. Like I'm going to be paying a lot of attention to what the Blazers look like in preseason. I'm probably going to bet the over on them. But if instead they just look like they're out of, like they look out of sorts and like the Chauncey stuff isn't working and the defense is still terrible. Those are the type of things I'll look for. And that's before we get into the impact of injuries and everything else, which are, I think, hard to predict. I do want to talk about something that I've learned in recent weeks. And that's, I've meant to do this for years and never gotten around to it. And talking to some of the sharpest people I know in the industry, they were all like, you know, everyone kind of talks about doing this research and nobody ever makes time because they're getting ready for football season. I pulled win total data and we did it for the past 10 years. So 2012, 13 is when I started. And the reason Brandon, and I've talked about this before, that's like a modern era for us. That's like when the heat first really kind of like, that's the end of the, the, of that heat era. It's when the warriors first started coming into existence. You've got the rockets, exploding the three-point era is a lot of this as it's influenced by the pace and space era that happened in the mid 2010s a decade's worth of data gives me a substantial amount of teams it gives me a large enough sample to at least draw some conclusions of even if i'm not going to include it in a white paper but it also is recent enough to where i don't feel like we're talking about different sports the nba now and the nba in 2009 just don't have a lot in common outside of like the orlando magic like there's just not a lot in common 
with either of those. You agree on the, on those points? Yeah, I agree. That that definitely seems like the right modern time frame. So so you've got ten years of data, and I know you found some very interesting trends. So what sort of what sort of things did you discover? So I started pulling in all this data from various sources. I pulled in cleaning the glass, Pythagorean win expectation, which basically is, you hear about this a lot whenever you hear about win totals um, and across sports. This is referenced a lot in NFL. It's essentially points scored versus a lot of your point differential factored against your strength of schedule. And you say like, well, the NBA, everybody plays the same people. No, 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 you don't. You don't, you do not play the same people. You have divisions that are tougher. You play some opponents four times versus three times in conference, et cetera. And if one conference is way better than the other one, the West versus the East, usually there are differences there. Like these subtle differences do matter. So Pythagorean expectation basically gets you like, how many games should they have won versus how many they did based off of point differential, which has always been historically a much stronger indicator and better indicator of actual team strength than record. So I started there and I pulled in a number of data, offensive, defensive rank. I looked at clutch data. I looked at performance in games decided by three points or less because clutch is within five points in the last five minutes. I looked at injury data. I pulled in a bunch of the stuff and I'm going to have articles on this on Action Network. The biggest thing I will tell you right off the top is that a lot of this data is counterintuitive, which I am what I'm trying to say is the lines are already factoring this stuff in. So one of the things that I think is most fascinating, there is a stronger correlation between a team's expected win total the prior season and the bookmakers win total the next season than there is relative to their actual wins the season before. There is a closer correlation between this Pythagorean expectation than how many games the team actually won the year prior. And so one of the things I looked at was I looked at, okay, if you overperformed, how did you do the next year in terms of over under? Mm -hmm across these 10 years, right? I looked at 75th percentile, okay? 75th percentile of all of these teams across 10 years, the 75th percentile or better, how did those teams do the following year? Huh? And you would think, okay, they overperformed. So the next year, they're not gonna be as good. Like they were four wins better than they, than they should have been. Clearly this team is ripe for regression and the exact opposite is true is that when we look at the actual data, we find that overall underperformers go to the under at 55% and overperformers go 51% to the over. That's if you overperform at all. And when you hit, and this goes up by a differential of your percentile. So a good ex uh, example of this is Non-playoff teams in the 70th percentile of overperformance are 17 and 8 to the over. And this happens like across splits. This gets stronger and stronger and stronger to where it's 60% with it, this topping out. 90th percentile and overperforming the previous season. If you were at a, if you overperformed what you should have by in the 90th percentile of all teams or better, 15, 9, and 1, 60% go to the over. That to me was like a shocking thing, Brandon, was to look at this and basically realize that all of this data that everyone uses this stuff. This is not just us. If you listen to the ringer, they're going to talk about Pythagorean. If you listen to Brown Bag Bets, they're going to talk about it. If you listen to any of these shows, they're going to talk about, okay, last season, their Pythagorean expectation was this. I used it last year. The Utah Jazz should have won 67 games in 2020-21. Their win total the following year was 51 and a half. I was like, they should, they were supposed to be 16 games better than that. This is an easy over, no problem. <laughs> this is going to be such a cakewalk. 
the Jazz went under last year. Now, that's a one-off, right? Like, there are these instances, and there are these teams that will go, that will underperform and then go over. But the trends that we see, the bigger thing about this, Brandon, is this is about, like, playing the number versus playing the team, is that the books are already factoring in, and it's already baked into the number, the Pythagorean expectation, to a degree that it is profitable to go the other way on it. Yeah, and the really fascinating thing as you've dove into this, and you know, you know, I'm you know drowning in NFL right now as the season kicks off, is that the trend that you're talking about is really in stark contrast to football trends. In football, in the NFL, you are extremely looking for these regression signs of like, okay, well, you know, there there are key things like turnover metrics and injury luck and things that are maybe broader because it is a you know, it's a bigger number of players on the roster. Maybe the data is different because there's 16 or now 17 games versus 82. But consistently over the years, you as a better, we've been able to identify, okay, this is a regression team. This is a team that should have won four games last year, but actually won seven. And Pythagorean is part of it there. And then you can unpack and say, well, what was the reasons? Oh, because in one score games, here was their record. And we know that historically that goes this way. And you kind of point through all these factors. So NFL betters and maybe just betters at large have learned kind of instinctively. You and I have learned instinctively to say, okay, here's the team that overperformed. So I'm going to go the other way now. And in, in the NFL market, that has been getting sharper, I think, especially over the last decade. And some of those teams that were the obvious regression candidates the number has started to factor that in more now than where it used to open up. Maybe just that's more people betting and, and things getting sharper. But I wonder if that's part of the factor with NBA also, that is this just the market is getting sharper? Or I wonder if this is kind of the, the usual way. But a lot of the trends that you're talking about, the interesting thing to me is that as what we would consider ourselves as, as sharp betters, our instincts tell us to pay attention to this thing, this hidden thing, Pythagorean or whatever, it's going to tell you the secret to go this way. And the trend is the exact opposite. And it's telling you not necessarily you have to go the other way, but I certainly caution about the thing that your instinct is telling you to do. Right. So like, there's two ways to look at this. The first is, is at the very baseline, it's that the idea that Pythagorean expectation and that these types of advanced numbers, and like, if you're listening to this, you're, you're, some of you are probably thinking the same thing and it, which is that yeah you guys have these numbers the bookmakers obviously also do too right right like expect the bookmakers to know these things which is why i think this is where it gets does get kind of interesting the question that I, that to my mind comes from when i look at this data if it had come out at 52 percent, which doesn't get you an edge on the minus 110 right? It'd be one thing. Like they perfectly balanced it. All things perfectly balanced, right? Like just like Thanos, the, the bookmakers are. <laughs> then that would be one thing because there are trends that kind of, that they had that really, honestly, it's, ex it's even. So in NFL, Steve Fezzik talks about this a lot about how there is an inherent edge to the under. Like you actually can, can, th there is historically a profit margin on just betting the under because the book's if you look at how many wins are possible, the books are always above that threshold. I looked at this last 10 years of data. I should note, by the way, I excluded the 2019-20 the data um, based off of the shortening of the season. I just threw out the COVID year. I just 
shut yeah. that year out Smart. and was like, let's just ignore this because we don't know. We'd like some books paid out and some books didn't. We didn't know if these teams would have gone over or under if they, et cetera. The numbers come out to 124 under 113 over. So the under hits 52% of the time you wind up losing about 2% on your investment over the, over the course of it due to the big. So that's, that's, Explain that to me again. That's if I played, if I blind just played, played the every unders. under, yeah. every under, every team for the last decade. Yeah. Then I won fifty two percent, but I still lost money. Right. You're being your net would be minus six hundred and thirty seven dollars if you bet a hundred dollars on every single game. Okay. So at the very least, I have now learned: do not blindly bet every right. over. Right. <laughs> um, here's a good example of a, of a number that they've actually factored in. I look, I put man games lost as an injury website. And what they actually have is they have injury VORP, which is okay. The, the players that were missing for X amount of games, you take their VORP divided by how much they were missing. How much did they actually lose in value over replacement player in total over the course of the season? Right. So the Clippers obviously last year were extremely high because they lost Kawhi and PG for a long stretch. 75th percentile injury VORP or better was 14 and 13, even 25th percentile or lower. Okay. You didn't have any injury. So clearly maybe the next year you're going to have more injury. Nope. 23 and 23 dead even like the injuries are pretty well factored into all of the analysis. At least it shows like from this data. Um, What I do think is kind of interesting is a question when we get to this Pythagorean stuff and the clutch games, clutch games, I will say clutch performance isn't on its own. Like you don't go under if you were a great clutch team the year before and you don't go over if you were a terrible one, but it is cross-referenced with the Pythagorean stuff in that, and that one actually is intuitive. So here's a good example of this. If you overperformed, but you didn't overperform in clutch games. So you had a sub 75th percentile performance in in games decided between three points or less. Okay. That's how I decided. That's the numbers I pulled for three points or less, but you also overperformed the over goes 21 and 10 that's 67.7% on those teams so you overperformed but you didn't have a crazy clutch performance record because the crazy clutch performance record brings it a little bit down because those teams do regress a little bit like these are the little differentiation that are important my big thing with this is that i do think that the books are overcorrecting to a certain degree on this market based off of the idea that they they're expecting betters to go in on these teams that should have been better. Mm-hmm. And they're doing the opposite with teams that should have been worse. Um, And so let's take one of those teams. Let's take two of those okay. teams actually that fit this category. If we look at last season and the overall performances of uh, regular season performance versus what they should have. One of the teams that pops up is, in pretty shocking form, to be quite honest, because of how good they were. Um, But when we look at these numbers for last season, the Boston Celtics last season won 51 games. Their Pythagorean expectation was 58.8. That's second worst in terms of underperforming. They should have been 7.8 wins better last season based off of the numbers their win total there is a 54 and a half in the market but yesterday i found at betmgm a 56 and a half under minus 120 so give me your thought process on 
how you would approach if I told you, Brandon, you have to, I'm giving you $100. You have to make a, an over-under bet today on the Boston Celtics. How would you approach it? Yeah, so this is one where my going through my process, as I spelled it out earlier, I came into like, a, it's 10 parts. So uh, after like step two or three, I was a Boston over. You know, I, I've been on this podcast, I've been the Boston believer as much as anyone this whole time. Uh, I was on them early as they really broke out this year. I rode them hard. I crashed in the finals. But I was basically under the premise of, okay, we took that team. We took that very, very good Boston team whose metrics probably underrate them for the whole season because this was a totally different team from that January 29th day forward we have talked about so much. Now they took that team. They added Malcolm Brogdon. They added Danilo Gallinari. They added, really, Derek White, who they only got for part of the season. They lost not really things that feel like they matter a whole lot. So on all the instincts initially, it's like, okay, well, this team was better than they would have been. The Pythagorean jumped out right away. They should have been better already. We saw how much better they were in the playoffs. Everything felt like an over. As I went through the process, and kind of this is where I, I try to kind of remove some of those angering and biases. Like you talked about the, the Pelicans before and how – well, this is where they're at. This was the record here. And to me, that is a 500 team. That's the floor. I'm trying to remove that anchor because I, I know I have I have all of those. I have those for each team. And here's what I think should happen. Instinctively, the Celtics felt like a top three seed floor. This is who they have to be. But they could be good. Or they could be really, really good. Like those are the options because I've built in this high floor for them. What I remembered as I did the process is that defense is not as sticky as you would like it to be. Offense is a little stickier as far as carrying over from year to year. And especially outliers are not as sticky as you would like them to be. And Boston's defense was outlier extremely awesome good for that last stretch. And you just can't do that again for more months and more seasons. We already tried that this year. You already tried to talk me into, can, when is that going to regress? And it never did this year, but now it's an off season and a different team and a different feel and roster. And, you know, as much as Brogdon and Gallinari and White are good players, that's going to change up the rotations and everything. It's unlikely, very unlikely, that Boston can have this outlier, elite, historic number one defense again. It's much more likely that their offense stays pretty good. Like, fine, but not great. And offense drives indicators a little more. As I've done the whole process and kind of had to measure all those things, my range of wins for Boston dropped from my initial instinct, which was like 56 to 62, based on like, well, they should have won 58. They should be a little better. It's hard to get really high, but it's a pretty good team. And now closer to like 50 to 56, because the offense is that good, not great range. The defense can only be so good and can really only go one direction from last year. And uh, my process starts to factor in some of those things of like, okay, well, the motivation is pretty obvious. They're a title contender, but, but thinking through some of these other factors and I noticed too with Boston, we'll come back to them when we get to their division, but I noticed Boston last year should have won way more games by Pythagorean, but that was true the year before too. And the year before that, and also the year before that. And at some point you have to be like, well, I don't really know if I can explain what's happening here, 
but apparently something about Boston, either they're cheating the metrics and really good at making their expected win total look good, or maybe they're bad in the clutch and the Tatum Brown offense thing doesn't work when it matters most and they're losing these close games or, or, or I can theorize, but the data says that that this year Celtics could have an expected win total of 57, 59, whatever, but still go under that 56 and a half. Cause that's what they've been doing the last few years too. So that's kind of where my process has put me on the Celtics. It's a very interesting team as, as an outlier. And I know you've got some data too on, you know, as you look at the team with the top win total and what do we do with that as well? So that's where I've been at. What do you, what are you thinking with Boston? So uh, this is a good example of I'm playing the number and not the team. Okay. Like everything you said in the beginning there, Robert Williams, probably a, you know, hopefully a full season, healthy one a defensive should have probably won defensive player of the year. If Draymond who should have won defensive player of the year, year didn't win. Um, <laughs> Marcus Smart, the actual defensive player of the year. Uh, Jason Tatum, another year, got some experience, had the wrist injury that gets healed, you know. Um, obviously, questions about the trade stuff, but no reason to think they can't work through it. Ime Odoka has proven as a good coach. They add Derek White for the, you know, they were missing him that first half of the season. People forget, like they had to remake that roster with Dennis Schroeder and a bunch of guys, remade it, got much better. No reason to think Al Horford drops off. They add Malcolm Brogdon, the player I'm exceptionally high on, who gives them exactly what I think that they needed in terms of a guy that was is able to space the floor, but also set the offense a little bit better. All this is fantastic. They're going to be an awesome team. I'm not fading the Boston Celtics as a team. I'm fading the number. So here's the trend. Um, teams with a 55-plus win total or higher over the last 10 years have gone under. 18 out of 27 times for 67%. 67% of the time with a win total of 55 or higher, they go under. Teams with the highest win total on the board have gone under in 10 of the last 14 times, including the Brooklyn Nets last season. These teams, it makes this just makes a lot of sense here. Right. The NBA is a long season with a lot of variants and a lot of things that can go wrong. Winning at that high at that high rate is difficult. You have to have a team like the Warriors, I think, to feel good about and over. And even then, the Warriors went under more often than not in those years, even with Durant and all these these in that super, super team era. They went over, I think, one time in general. It's just hard to win that many games. It's not that nobody's going to win that many games. Is that the Celtics have to be expected to do so, last all through the season, and make it out there. And then we return to that Pythagorean stuff, which is these teams that have this 75th percentile or higher. And this is the here's the 90th percentile, which the Celtics fit into with that, that mark. If you uh, underperformed at that level, you wind up going under 58% of the time. So for me, look, it's not that there aren't these teams. It's not that I don't think that the Celtics and this, this I will say is one interesting differential between the two of us. Cause you talked about like, if you're sure that this team is not going to be that good or whatever. And I just, I can't all of these teams. I'm just like, yeah, no, they can go over. I don't like who knows the NBA is, is, is random and the season's too long and guys motivations are hard to peg. But I will say that when I look at, 
Do I think the Celtics are a super team? I do not. Is the number too high? Based off of history, yes. And so I yesterday bet the Boston Celtics to go under 56 and a half minus 120 at MGM. Yeah, I mean, I think it makes sense. Like, I'm not not playing the number. I'm just playing team first. And then some of these trends, right. I'm not disregarding them. I, I I look at these trends not necessarily as a starting point, which I think is where it's closer for you. For me, it's more, it's a reinforcement. It's okay. I've, I've made my judgment. Here's where I think I'm at on the team. But is is this trend also backing me? Because that would be helpful. If it's not, then let me caution and rethink this a little bit. There... But I think, I think though, looking at, like, just looking at the raw number here, you got a 56 and a half. You probably know the answer to this, but we'll, we'll do a trivia here. How many Eastern teams went over 56 and a half last season? None. Correct. How many teams in the entire NBA went over 56 and a half last season? One. One. We have one team over 56 and a half. That was the Suns. We had the Grizzlies at 56. The Heat were the one seed. How many wins did the Heat have? Do you remember? 52. 53. So we had an entire conference that the best team in the conference won 53 games. Right. And we're starting with a bar that the Celtics have to win 57 games, which would be more than the entire conference and second most in the NBA. It's just a very high bar. From that alone, it makes sense to fade that number. If if the Celtics were not coming off of a finals run, if the Celtics were coached by Tom Thibodeau, if the Celtics had been like this for multiple seasons then I wouldn't be playing an under. It'd be a stay away. The number would still be too high for me, but I'd be in a stay away. It, like contextually, yeah. I think there's value on the under. Like I was leaning towards like, isn't buying against the Celtics hype probably a good idea? There's, I have to find it. There's a trend that also says that the title favorites, they tend to go under as well. The Boston Celtics are your title favorites right now at plus 500. So like, there's all these type of factors. I, I get the trends resistance. This isn't for me. This is the trend. Again, this is an interesting way to look at it. I'm looking at trends about the numbers versus trends about the teams. If that makes sense. Because yeah. if you tell me a trend about a team, like the bills are 14 and five versus the Ravens over the last, whatever. I'm like, I don't care what the record was when Joe Flacco was quarterback. Like I, these teams are entirely different. But if you if you look at something like this, where this is a trend about how do these numbers perform, like how do these based off of how the bookmakers are making these numbers, which we now know is heavily weighted toward these these point differentials. What do the trends say then? And playing against that is something that I at least want to try this season to see if we can come out as a positive. The other team I want to look at is the on the other end of the spectrum. And this is a fascinating one to kind of compare. The Sacramento Kings are a train wreck. Like they've been a joke. They're a punchline. All of these things are true. Like I could bag on the Kings forever and ever and ever. And it sucks because their team is, their fan base is great. The Kings last season had the fifth highest win differential. They won 3.4 more games than they should have won. They should be worse this season based off of that. They shouldn't be as good. I've already bet the Kings over. I bet five units on it. I will, I may add more. And it's not just because of the trend that says that these teams that overperform go over. It's that Brandon, we talked about in the beginning, the motivation factor. Is there any team in the league with a <laughs> higher motivational factor to try and go out and win every single night from the top of the organization in ownership on down to ticket sales than the Sacramento Kings next season? 
No, certainly. That's this is exactly I mentioned earlier. You have to look at motivation here, and you have to say, like, what is this team trying to accomplish here? And things like, well, they're trying to build a winning culture, and they're they're trying to make a run at the play. Like those sound like sound bites. Those are real things that you absolutely have to factor in if you're going to play a win total here, and if you're going to play a game on a random night in March or February, you have to factor that sort of stuff in because we're betting on motivations here and you have to kind of figure out what are the incentives and motivations. And certainly the Kings are a team, even as the season drags on, even as, you know, okay, uh oh, we got to the beginning of April and the Kings are four back in the playing race. I don't feel great about your, your five units at that point, but if we're there, how are you playing the Kings night tonight? Are the Kings going to pack it in and tank? They're probably not. They're probably not that team. I would want them to. Brandon, the analyst, would want the Kings to tank and lose all their games and get their better draft pick. It's already, they've made their bed. The season is gone. The actual Kings want to establish winning culture and they want to get away from the tanking mentality and they want to, you know, teach Darren Fox and Damana Sabonis, like, what does it mean to, to win together? And so you have to pay attention to that on these teams. And that's, there's not a number for that necessarily. So that's a spot where you can't just look at the numbers here. That's for me, that's why I need my range of outcomes because my motivation factor is kind of pointing toward which which edge of the range I should be looking at. There's a, like a good example of this to me was when I started, I, I sat down and started to do win totals. And I was like, let's just look at the overall, like let's go to dunksandthrees.com, which I like because it, it does schedule adjusted. Let's look at their offensive and defensive ratings and their net ratings. And then look at their, their records. And like, I thought this was fascinating. Okay, so the Kings were 25th in net rating schedule adjusted sixth worst team in the league 23rd in offense bottom 10 in offense 27th in defense bottom four in defense this team is wretched like that's the profile of a horrible team they won 30 games they won 30 games versus an on the board mark of 32 and a half on the win total after and a lot of this also factors into like i was listening to somebody who is taking the kings under and he was like, this is a joke of a franchise. They traded Tyrese Halliburton, a great young player, to try and win now. That's a losing organization. Okay. I don't agree with any of that analysis. None of that should factor into whether or not you think they can win 33 games. Yeah. Like, and and let, yeah. To, to play the middle here, let me just add, I do agree with that analysis. Yes. I don't think it matters to the win total at all here. Right. In fact, I think it goes the other way. I, I agree with the analysis on the trajectory. I think it was a terrible decision. I don't like what they're doing, but it's very clear by doing that, that they're trying to win. And you probably should factor that in to a win total here. Like they won 30 games. I needed them to win three more games after trading for Demonis, adding Keegan Murray, who I think is going to be a really good player. They, they kept Harrison Barnes, like all the things that I would do if I were them trading off the old pieces to try and get young assets and try and get better long-term. They didn't do, they just want to make the playoffs. They just want to end the playoff. They just want to make the play in (laughs) to start. They they like to, they like to win a playing game if they get there, but they'd really like to make the plan. And they can still not do that and still go over. Right. I don't want to take the Kings to make the playoffs. I don't want to bet the Kings to make the play-in tournament, even though that's top 10. I, I don't even want that. But at 32 and a half, which is the low mark in the market, I think there's value on the over. So I think a, a major difference between us, and we're going to have to go to battle on some of these teams, a, a thing that you just said that 
it just, it jars the inside of how I process this stuff is the idea that, well, they won 30 games last year. I just need three more wins than that. At the start of my process, I look at how many they win last year, but the further I go in my process, the more and more I'm trying to get away from ever caring a rip about that number 30 from last year, because it is not relevant really at all in the end to what I'm looking at. I care much more about the terrible offensive rating, the terrible defensive rating, and the players who constructed that. And can they play any defense? And I don't really care if they won a 30 games last year when they should have won whatever. Like this, it's a new year that all all the schedule factors that you talk about, all the ups and downs during the year, all of that already played into the number 30. I don't want any part of that number 30 as a baseline to determine where I'm going this year. I want to start fresh. And starting fresh for this particular team, I feel like the offense should be better, should be much better than it was last year. I still have a lot of doubts on the defense. And starting fresh, I put them in a range kind of in the high 20s, low 30s. And then that makes me feel very tenuous about where your five units are at on this. Is is five units about the highest end that you would play a win total or or any bet, really? Yeah, that's going to be the highest. I bet most of my bets are going to be between two and a half to three units. And what about for, for a team like the Kings, for example, and we'll probably just have to come back to this later, but I talked about like for me, the determination of, okay, so you got what you had 33 and a half. That's the number 32 and a half, 32 and a half. Okay. Yes. Okay. So I think that answers my question for me. I would think, okay, well, if I really love the over here, then is that the right play or should be, should I be playing Kings to make the plan or Kings to go over the seed right. or Kings to make the playoffs? Right. You've got that clear buffer zone there where you can go over just trying to get there. It's like doggy paddling through the water and get to your the, 34 or 35 and I'm still the, fall short. The Pelicans are a great counterpoint to this, which is the Pelicans. I do not think if you want to play them, you should play their win total. I think you should only play their division. I think that the division is the only bet you should make on the Pelicans. I do not like I will probably lean over. I may bet a small amount on the over just because I cannot get to a, a calculus where they go under. Well, I can, but like there are so many ifs that are low probability for me that I'm like, yeah, there's probably some value on the over, but the value is so much greater on betting them to win the division. The value is so much greater on betting them to make the playoffs. Like these, these alternative markets is very important in determining the factor. You can't take win totals. And like it, it, we do this because we're trying to focus in on the win totals, but this is one of the things I'll, I think it's good that we're going to do these in division format so that we can actually break down. Like, I don't want to bet the win total. I want to bet the division. That's yeah. where I want to, that's where I think the value is. Um, look, I want to be very clear on this. Like I use advanced metrics in every, in my everyday analysis. It's not that I, I don't care. What I am trying to tell you is that I think the bookmakers and the lines are more heavily shaded towards the stuff that you and I talk about rather than the actual win totals. And so from this perspective, it's like, could they have won 28 games last year? Sure, they could have won 28 games last year. That's entirely possible. But if we look at 30 at 30 as not a floor, but like a median outcome, if you're like, mm-hmm. they weren't good, they didn't have a good season, not a lot went right for them, but they still won 30 games. I need them to get three more wins. And for me, it's like, I am trying to think like, all right, are they are they going? I, what I, I, I can't get to the place that you get to, which is like, I think that they're going to be a, 15th ranked offense. I'm like, I don't, I don't, I, they could be 20th. They could be 15th. They could be 12th. And those ranges are all in there because I know. Well, and to, to respond to that, just to be clear, I'm looking at my list right now. I have the Sacramento Kings offensive rank 
12th to 22nd, literally including yeah, all in the range that you said. Right, right, right. So, it's, so it's a range and I have a defensive range and a win total range. So it's that you, you paint me as that. I have this certain outcome. That's true. That's true. I, yeah, it's you, the you exact a, you, opposite of that. Yeah, yeah, I'm looking very, at, very, at yeah. ranges. That's so fair. I just want to be careful. Yeah, yeah, yeah. With that. You, you said that repeatedly that, that, that you're focused on the ranges. I think for me, it's, I don't even want to go that. I don't even want to go that tight. Um, and it's not that I don't have any idea. It's that I think about it more from a night to night perspective of, do I think this offense is going to be good enough for them to win a certain chunk of games? Yeah. And then from there, it's about health and depth and versus and like schedule and what all that looks like. And don't get me wrong, playing the Pacific yeah. division does not make me feel great, <laughs> but I look at a number like 32 and a half. And to me, there's value on the over, but we'll see. Uh, we'll have breakdowns. We're going to start with the Southwest Division. That'll be on Tuesday. Then we'll do the Southeast on Thursday of next week. Hope you guys tune in and listen to that. Thanks for joining us, everybody. Make sure to download the award-winning Action Network app. Follow Brandon in there for all of his NFL picks. He gets started on those. Thanks for joining us, everybody. Have yourselves a great weekend. We'll see you guys again next week. Let's get buckets. <laughs>